everyone, and this is episode 19 of Going Beyond Salvation. Uh, this is season 2. Just so many of you wonder because there's a bunch of episodes. So, um, this is your host, Jess Robinson. And so, we're, we're continuing on in our daily reading. And uh, we'll, we'll jump into numbers. And when we ended, you know, we saw Israel, you know, the Israelites with so much doubt and we see this you know kind of this rebellion you know arrive arise and stuff and they end up losing out on the promise that the lord has for them and he sends them to wander in the desert for 40 years and if you know this generation is not going to see the promised land it's their younger generation and except for two, which was Joshua and Caleb. And we jump into 15, and it it just seems like this abrupt jump from the story to the Lord telling Moses about supplementary offerings and unintentional sins. And, you know, I I believe it was kind of put in there for a reason, because I believe, you know, the people you know, deliberately, you know, sinned against the Lord with their doubt and, and living not in faith. And they were deliberately sinning. And, but there's also what is called unintentional sins. And the Lord was, was distinguishing that so that, you know, people could you know, find forgiveness of sins and unintentional sins. And there was unintentional sins and intentional sins. And the unintentional sin, you know, required atonement and it it could be forgiven. Then there was the intentional sins that, you know, they were deliberate and they were defiant and they separated a person from the people of God and the redemption provided for them were unintentional sin. It did not separate one from God's chosen people. And we're actually going to see that kind of in, in the book of Acts, you know, what ends up happening is that the people, you know, the Israelites, the religious people had, when they when they put Jesus on the cross, so you know there was you know an example of an unten an, an unintentional sin is sins of ignorance, and then there was sins of a high hand which were intentional and they could not be forgiven, and we'll see that in the book of Acts when when Peter is after the the healing of a lame man him and John heal a lame man he ends up having this opportunity to present the gospel to the people and you know when Jesus was was sent to the cross the it was the israelites you know the the religious leaders were were sending the lord to the cross and they had can, actually can you know, committed a a sin of a high hand, which means they they shouldn't be forgiven. 
But when Peter speaks and he's he's talking to the people, he actually uses the words, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, which meant that he was calling it a sin of ignorance, which was an unintentional sin, which opened up the door for them to have redemption and and re- and and be able to ask for forgiveness of of sins and you know it was assuring the crowd that God had chosen to view their deliberate sin of the high hand as a lesser sin of ignorance so it opened up that door for for the holy spirit to go and convict their heart and and come so i just kind of wanted to point that out and and so we see that and you know, it's, and we'll see, you know, even Paul talks about that, that a lot of what he did was considered ignorance because he didn't understand and, and all of that. And so, you know, God was distinguishing that, which later, you know, came into play. And, and after Jesus, you know, ascended to heaven, it came to play with a pre- preaching the gospel and, and all of that, and especially to the Jewish um people really they didn't have to do it for the gentiles but you know it it was there and so that's what i kind of wanted to talk about with numbers and so we're going to take a quick break and we're going to jump into the book of mark and we are back and um, in, in the book of Mark and we're starting in chapter 12 and, you know, we're in the passion week and here we see some teaching from Mark, you know, the parable, of the tenants, and, and we're seeing that the religious leaders are coming and they're trying to, you know, get Jesus to, they're trying to see if he'll slip up, you know, to find a way to, to really discredit him. And, you know, the Lord kind of really put that on my heart because, and it's something that I've, I've most likely talked about before, but that's how the enemy is. That's who Satan is, is what, what he wants to do with Christians. He, you know, he, he comes to kill, steal and destroy. And, you know, and yes, if he would kill a, a believer, he really doesn't win in in the long run because that believer ends up going to be with the Lord. But you end up, what he likes to do is he likes to cause an injury. And, you know, I was given this imagery because like when we get into Ephesians and stuff, you know, and, 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 um, with Paul, you know, Paul was in chains. He was guarded by Roman soldiers and like in Ephesians, you know, the greatest past, you know, greatest thing in Ephesians is Ephesians chapter six and talking about the armor of God. And really his inspiration most likely came from these Roman soldiers that were surrounding him and guarding him constantly. And so, you know, when you think about it, and he probably came to understood the tactics of Romans in a way, because Romans, you know, they were always constantly, you know, when you look at their fighting tactics, you know, we always see in the movies, they're hacking and slashing away and, you know, going for a death blow. But 
in actuality, you know, they had this shield and they formed a wall and they would actually go and stab people in between like the slits in between the shields and stuff. They would gain an opening and they would cause the person to be injured, but not dead. And so, and when you're injured and you're not dead, you know, it's just like when you have a small injury that is constantly like, for example, a rash or something like that, it's always irritating you and you lose your focus and that enemy wants you to lose your focus and he also wants to discredit you. And that's why it's so crucial, like with marriages, you know, to be praying for your marriage because that's where he's going to hit because he wants to cause something to discredit your marriage, you know, and, and cause people to say, well, I'm not going to follow the Lord. You know, he let this marriage fall apart and, I mean, that's how he is. And, you know, and when you're doing stuff for the Lord, you have to constantly be praying and and letting the spirit, you know, and be praying, you know, in spiritual warfare because, you know, he's going to do what he can. And so that's how the enemy is. And he was doing that with Christ. He was trying to get, you know, Christ discredited. And it just really wasn't working. Because Christ, and and, you know, Christ was, you know, we know that he was constantly in tune with the Father. You know, he's always doing the will of the Father. And we see over and over in chapter 12 that he's just kind of like, you know, pretty much just putting it, you know, it's it's kind of like Wile E. Coyote that we watch on, on Looney Tunes. He's always trying to catch Roadrunner and it always just kind of turns around and it backfires on him. And that's just what's happening with this real, with the religious leaders. It's, it's backfiring on them. And, you know, and that's just how it is. The enemy, he likes to try to do what he can, but it always backfires on him, especially when you're in tune to the Lord, you're praying spiritually. And when you realize that it's an attack of the enemy, you know, you're, you're getting into the word, you're praying, you're taking time, you know, you're fasting and praying when there needs to be fasting. And it's just going to fall flat on his face, practically, because the Lord is just going to take the situation around and use it to glorify, you know, glorify the kingdom of heaven, you know, glorify himself and make Satan look like an idiot. (laughs) And, and so we get that in, in chapter 12, you know, you kind of see that a lot. And, and, you know, when you look at the religious leaders, what was happening and you kind of look into the background of the religious leaders, you know, especially the Pharisees and what had happened, you know, and we're going to read into it, you know, we're already seeing it in the Old Testament. The faith of, of the Israelites is, is weak and they're easy to fall into idolatry. And we're going to see as we continue on that they end up, you know, turning away from the Lord, thinking, well, we're, you know, we're under the promises of God and we can do whatever we want because he's not going to take us from this promised land. And the Lord ends up sending them, you know, he, you know, it, you know, Israel because it ends up splitting into two separate kingdoms. 
you know, there's Israel and then there's Judah and Israel gets, you know, taken away by the Assyrians. And then Babylon comes along and takes Judah because Judah's like, well, you know, they're not taking that as a warning to repent. And, you know, they end up getting taken by Babylon. And when they finally get to come back to the promised land, when they do, they are very, you'll see a change in the attitude of the Israelites. They are not willing to, you know, turn away from the Lord. So it's kind of an opposite shift. They become very religious and they, they're like, very, very careful that they're not going to make the Lord mad. But I think in a way, these religious leaders, as it continued on, this this spirit of religion came in them and they really shifted way on the other side of the you know, spectrum. And they were blind. You know, there was the Messiah before them. And they were so, their hearts were hardened because he was preaching something totally different from what they believed. You know, they were tired of being oppressed by the Romans and they they were looking for a Messiah that was going to free them from Roman rule and he was preaching something totally different. And they were like, there's no way. And he was taking the people away from religion and into relationship with the Father because they themselves, like especially the Pharisees, had their oral traditions. Now, the Sadducees didn't have oral traditions. The problems with the Sadducees was they were kind of, it was mostly the upper class. Like the high priest was actually a Sadducee. And the Sadducees were up high up, kind of like when you think about today, it's kind of like your politicians and stuff. They're so high up and they're so far away from the people. And they are so focused on the status quo that they didn't really care, you know, that Rome was ruling. They were going to use that to their favor. And they were so far away from the Lord. You know, they they were mouthing service with their lips, but with their hearts, they were far away. And then you get to the Pharisees. Yes, they were kind of your middle class people. And they were well common because they actually were mainly in the synagogues across Israel, which, you know, synagogue was separate from the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin mainly was with the temple, but the synagogues were kind of like what you think like our churches today. Now, sacrifice didn't happen in the synagogues, but that's where the teachings happened. And the Pharisees, you know, in that day and age, their their hearts were... They had the oral traditions and their oral traditions, it was an extension of the law to explain, you know, what was considered work and, you know, what people were to do and not to do. And it was an extension, but they had made it equal to the law. And so their hearts were hardened because Jesus was lifting that yoke off of the people and focusing on relationship with God and and allowing repentance to happen. And so this was happening. And because he was preaching a totally different kingdom from what they were expecting, 
a totally different idea of of a messiah that their hearts were hearts were hardened and they were rejecting Jesus. And so we get to the parable of the tenants and it was all pointing to Jesus. So it's all like leading up to Jesus and it's pretty much saying, you know, and they predict their own the Pharisees when we, especially when we look in the version for Matthew, the Pharisees say, you know, he's going to give the kingdom to somebody else. And what ended up happening is Jesus, you know, was pretty much saying that God was taking this and giving it to a holy nation, you know, a different people. It was getting taken away from the Israelites. Now, does it say that the Israelites can't be saved? No. And we do see in the book of Acts that there are Jewish people, Israelites that are saved in the book of Acts. There are those and they're, they're grafted in into salvation now, but you know, the majority of them, yes, we're, we're rejecting, you know, the, the salvation that was presented and it was opening up the door for the Gentiles for this to be preached to the Gentiles. And so essentially that's the whole thing with the parable of the tenants and to sum it up. And then they try again and, and they get the Herodians. Now the Herodians were a totally different group. They aligned themselves with Herod and Herod really, the Herodian line, you know, and as I said, King Herod was not popular with the Jews. He actually came from the line of Esau, if you look in the, in the history and he you know, his family line was not very popular with the people because they really weren't true Jewish people. They weren't true Israelites. But you had some that called themselves Herodians or Herodians, whichever is the correct term. And these ones, this group was aligning themselves with with the family line of Herod. And, and what they were doing here is they're going because Herod, Herod was, you know, when you, if you look and there's, you know, there's um, a Jewish historian called Josephus. It is very ancient writing, but if you read his writings, he really goes into the line of, of Herod and explains. And Herod was all about really becoming friends with Caesar, with the Caesars and and all of that. And he was about, you know, having an alliance with him. And so for them, you know, Pharisees and Herodians to come in, they, they were and ask about, you know, who the paid taxes do. You know, Pharisees, you know, they really didn't want to deal with the Romans but Herodians were like, hey, you know, who, wh- what about this whole tax? Because they wanted to see what Jesus had to say. And it just, it, it really, really backfired on them. Because Jesus, he pretty much just says, you know what? You give to, you know, Caesar what is his. Which means, you know, you give to, to the ruler what is his. The physical ruler. 
and you give to God what is God's. You know, it's just like today. You know, every, you know, if you live in the United States, you know, we have what's called the IRS. Every year we have to, you know, file income tax. You know, to not do so, you know, you're in trouble. (laughs) And people go, well, you know, you're a believer. Why are you filing this? It's like, because the law says so. You know, and I'm giving back to the government what needs to give back or they give me back money that is supposed to be mine, you know. And, you know, like this year, we really didn't make very much back on a refund. We barely, barely, barely made, you know, had enough taxes taken out, really. And I'm just sitting here going, whoa. You know, we got to talk to, one of us got to talk to our employers about something because apparently either not enough taxes are getting taken out or whatever. We will see. But, you know, it's, when you look at it, you know, and it, it does talk about, you know, and we will talk about in, Especially when we get into the book of Romans and, and several other places that, you know, we are to have, you know, respect for the governing authorities. We're actually to pray for them. And we see today, I see today so many believers that diss and wish so much bad upon our governing governing leaders. They wish so much that they would fail. And it's like, why do you want them to fail? They're your governing authority, you know? And yes, you know, there are people that are corrupt that that do get in and but you have to pray for these people, one, that that they will find repentance and and they will you know come to know Jesus and change their life around and then too if they continue to be unrepentant like pharaoh then the, then they're gone you know that the lord would just remove them from office but you know that we are to pray for them we are to have respect for them you know and that's a big thing and you know like right now with with coronavirus that you know the thing that that is happening as yes, this is the first time in so long that there are churches empty and there are many, but there are many churches that do not listen because they feel like that the government is telling them to sin and, and they're not telling us not to preach the gospel. They're just telling us Please don't meet, especially if you have more than 10 people in your church, because, you know, they're trying to think of the safety of people. It's not that they're asking us to sin, you know, and, you know, they're saying there's other ways to do services in which, you know, I have to say that and that and I'm writing an article on this that with the coronavirus, God is using that to get the church to away from the church walls. I think we have been stuck inside the four walls of a physical building instead of being a church that 
gets out. And yes, we're, you know, you still have to be safe. You still have to follow CDC guidelines. But now churches are like figuring out this whole thing about online live streaming. And yes, there is that fear that people will never come back to church. But, you know, as a body of Christ, we'll figure it out as we get there. But this is opening up the door for the gospel to spread, you know, one online and for the church to get out there because there are people that are struggling. I mean, I was so happy because I've been praying like, God, help, let me help somebody. And the the Lord opened up the door for me to help somebody. It was a small gesture yesterday. It was a small gesture, but I was like, hey, I got to do this for the Lord because, you know, and I'd been praying about it and I was excited. I wanted to get out of work early because I wanted to go get this task done. (laughs) And I was sitting there waiting for my editor to get done, you know, proofreading my articles and it just felt like it was taking forever. So, but you know, it, you know, and I know I'm going on a bunny trail here, but it's like, yes, you know, as, as the body of Christ, we need to be getting out there. And yes, you can be safe about it and still follow CDC guidelines. And especially if the Holy Spirit is telling you, you need to go pray to that person. You don't have to touch them. You know, Jesus didn't, you know, we, we saw a few times Jesus didn't touch the person and they were healed. You know, when we saw the you know, a blind Bartimaeus, he didn't touch him and he was healed. And so it's like, if the Lord's saying you need to pray with that person, you can still pray for him six feet apart in the Holy, you know, and and they can be healed and their life can be changed and you can still preach the gospel, you know, to somebody. And so, you know, it's, it's, you know, and I, I just tell churches, you know, And we're so stuck in this whole, well, we need to be repenting the whole time. And it's like, I'm sorry. There's a point, you know, you repent and then you need to move on and go, okay, God, what do you want me to do? You know, in this, in this pandemic, you know, in this trial and tribulation. And so, you know, it's moving on and, and all of that. And so... But, you know, going back to this whole thing, you know, and I do respect my pastor that he decided no. I mean, because, you know, for one thing in the church that I attend, yes, there is a lot of people that are at risk in that at risk range. That is not fair for them if we're saying, well, you know, we're going to ignore the governing authority and make them feel like, oh, they have to come. No, you know, let's shut everything down out of respect, you know, and, and we've been able to have live streaming and yes, we, we had to drive, um, by church and people had to stay in their cars. Now there was some people that did not respect those orders and were getting out of their cars. And it was like, Hey, no, we're still respecting CDC. Stay in your car. And, you know, we couldn't hug, which was hard because you hadn't seen these people for so long, you know, you could stand so many feet apart and still talk, but, you know, and it was hard, but, you know, it was great. And, 
you know, we're going to do what we can to continue doing stuff like that, but we're also going to still respect our governing authorities. And if they don't feel comfortable with us doing that, but they say, hey, you can still live stream, that's okay, you know? But, you know, we're, it, you have to respect that. And, and so, you know, the time that you, you do not give in is when they tell you you can't preach Jesus. When they tell you you need to deliberately sin, such as telling a pastor that they have to marry a homosexual couple when it goes against their beliefs. That's when a pastor says no to a governing authority because it's telling them to sin. So that's essentially the difference. And... You know, so that ends up happening. Jesus is telling them, hmm, you know, give Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. You know, there was a difference. He he drew a line in the sand and it backfired. And we see that the words afterwards, and they were amazed at him. It was making people think. You know, they were amazed because they had never heard stuff like this before. You know, and when you look into the history, yes, there was several factions, you know, that had started rising up during that time that were, you know, doing totally opposite. They wanted Rome out. They didn't want them involved in, in, in their lives. And, and Jesus was preaching something totally different. So, but then, you know, that's not enough. Then the Sadducees, and see, here's the thing about Sadducees. They don't believe in resurrection. And we see, you know, I was reading one commentary. It's like, okay, for when you look at how outrageous the scenario is, because yes, Moses in, in the law and we see it in the culture in that time was that if a woman got married to a man and they he dies and they're childless the what and the brother was to marry the wife and the the first child was to you know carry on that bloodline of of the deceased father or the deceased husband actually but that child had the name of the father that is how it worked and I really didn't think about it until I really was reading somebody's commentary and they was like, okay, look how ridiculous this scenario is. There's just no way that a woman could marry seven times like that and have somebody die and not have a child. Now, it's not, you know, it could possibly happen. You know, I have heard you know, I've met people that they've married and each time, like, it, they've never ended in divorce. The spouse always ends up dying, tragically. I've seen that happen. And, but they have never gotten to seven. <laughs> never gotten to seven, okay? But they were just throwing this outrageous thing to try to, it was just all to trip him up. 
And Jesus pretty much just says, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures? And that's something that we have to watch out ourselves, that we are not in error. You know, we have to be in the scriptures and reading to understand the scriptures, not just reading it to check off on the checklist that I read my Bible that day, but to read to understand, letting the Holy Spirit reveal to you. I love having study Bibles, and I know that some people don't. They don't have a study Bible, and because, yes, they, they're not very cheap. You know, I got mine given to me and I have another one, a New Testament one from Perry Stone. And that one's not cheap either. And it's because he he had his print printed in the U.S. to say this was made in America. But, you know, and it's not cheap. And mine got given to me. Because I found it in a box because somebody in our church who was a great man of God, he had dreams and visions. Like the Lord spoke to him in dreams and visions. And he was very quiet. But when he spoke, like you, you listened to him. Well, he ended up passing away. And he was kind of like his second grandpa to me. And he had all these resources. And he never had kids. He never married. And, you know, and his family, you know, siblings, all of that, they, they really didn't care about the resources. So they gave it to the church and just said, here, you know, give it to your, your congregants. And so I showed up and, you know, my pastor's looking at me knowing, you know, I've, I love like reading all this kind of stuff. He says, you get first dibs. He says, I know he would want you to have first dibs. And so, you know, I started digging and, you know, there's just something that was like, eh, no, you know, I've already got something like that. I've already got a book like that, you know, and I was looking and they had brought several different Bibles that this, this man had. And I was going through and I saw this Perry Stone Bible and I freaked out because I was like, I want a Perry Stone Bible and <laughs> I haven't been able to get a New Testament one. Now I haven't, he died before the Old Testament one came out. So I'm still waiting to see if I inherit one of those. <laughs> Bibles or I'm just going to have to buck down and pay, you know, but I ended up inheriting this Bible and it was like, I was like, thank you, Lord, (laughs) when this, this Bible came to me, but they're so like, I love the Perry Stone New Testament one because it's filled with so much like, there's always something more than what my other study Bible says. You know, and yes, you know, because they're, when they're doing like the commentary, you know, they're picking, you know, what to try to help us understand. And so, you know, but I love having a study Bible and I just challenge you, yes, get a study Bible and check around many stores, especially thrift stores. People will just dump off really good study Bibles. And it's just mainly because family don't want to deal with it. Well, it doesn't matter, you know, if it ends up showing up in a thrift store and you can get it because a lot of times they just end up putting a really like low price because it's a used book. 
you can get a really good study Bible. And sometimes, and, and like here in Wyoming, because there's a lot of Christians and believers here in Wyoming, a lot of the thrift stores actually don't sell the study Bibles. They actually give them away for free because they know that there's some brand new believer that needs a study Bible. And so a lot of times they'll actually just give them away for free. Just so you know. And then there's also, we're lucky we have Google, but you have to be careful because like with online, because you can come across false doctrine um, compared to having a really good study Bible that's, you know, been, you know, I like mine because it's spirit filled. It's what you call a fire Bible. And those are the best Bibles. But we have to be careful because, you know, the Sadducees were in doctrinal error, you know, and we have to be careful that we're not in error with doctrine, that it's always aligning to God's word, not based on human tradition, not based on our own thoughts and feelings, but it's based on the word and what God's word says and, you know, what the Lord says, always being able to go back to this. And And so that's where he was coming from. He's like, okay, you guys are in error with the scriptures. And it was because, you know, when a believer rises from the dead, they're not going to marry nor be given in marriage because they have a new body that doesn't have the same, you know, physical gratifications, you know, that not, that need to be met. It's different. Heaven is totally different. And, you know, because there's no sickness, there's no death and, and all of that. You know, when we die and we go to heaven, we're truly alive because we're in eternity, you know. And so. It, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, a husband or wife will lose their particular identity and not recognize each other. I know, you know, when my grandma was dying, my grandma on my mom's side when she was dying, before she was dying, she was seeing visions of, of heaven and she was seeing her sisters and she recognized them as her sisters. She recognized them. So they didn't lose, you don't lose your identity. It's just the relationship with our earthly partners. It's more deeper and spiritual than it was here on earth. It's deeper. And I feel like I didn't, you know, when my grandpa, when he passed away um, on my dad's side and my grandma on my, my dad's side had died earlier. She died in 2001. I was young, really young when she died. Um, But she was a believer. She was in heaven. And when my grandpa died, his, he had bone cancer. And so when it was towards the end of his life, he was actually more sleeping. Um, He was on a lot of pain medication because bone cancer causes a lot of pain. And so he was actually kind of asleep the whole time so we never really saw what he saw you know what he was seeing 
but he was mainly asleep that whole time. But we knew he was, he was ready because he, he was so much at peace as he was asleep. And, and then he, he passed on. And I feel like that probably when he did go into heaven, that he probably recognized my, my grandma and that, and he actually, when he died, it was like 13 minutes earlier. If I remember correctly, his brother in another state had passed away as well. And so they pretty much got to go to heaven and together that day. And so it was probably a big reunion up there that day. And so I think he recognized a lot of people. And, and, but, you know, I, I have that with my grandma that she, when she, on my mom's side, when she was dying, she was seeing things that we couldn't see. And she did recognize her sisters. And, and that was the whole thing too, because my grandma had, uh, my grandma had, um, miscarried. She had twins. She was pregnant with twins and she had a miscarriage. And she was sitting there going, well, I don't, she was a little scared, you know, and she's like, well, I don't, I don't see my children that, that died before I did. And, but, you know, I heard somebody say in my family, they said, well, they were still in the womb. And so they're different. They look different. So she probably didn't really, they're there. She just doesn't, it hasn't connected with her yet that that was her kids. And probably when she actually passed on, Jesus was probably like, these are your kids, you know? So, but that was something that, you know, when you think about it. And so he was, he was talking about that, but in essence, pretty much, you know, the Sadducees were, were trying to get Jesus to, to mess up as well. And it's that way too, you know, we're, we live in this life and as believers and the enemy wants to, you know, cause us to trip up and, and mess with our character and he'll also, you know, there will be people that we come across that are going to do the same thing. They're going to try to trip us up. And it, it's very much important to be in the word, to be praying drawing close to the Lord, because then, you know, just like Jesus, you'll know, you know, and, and he does make that promise to his disciples. And we'll see it, you know, in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit just takes over them and they're able, they didn't have to worry how to answer to the Sanhedrin. The Holy Spirit just opened up the door and, and they spoke what the Holy Spirit gave them. And, they didn't have to come up with a grand speech. And so I think, you know, as, as you draw near and you're in this relationship with the Lord, you know, continue to read his word and just get into the habit of asking him to bring revelation into your heart and, and, and seek to understand it, you know, and if you don't understand it, you know, go to somebody too, that understands it as well. You know, we have great resources in, Whatever church you're in, there's an elder or somebody who, you know, in the church that's been in the word for years and they're the great resource to reach out to and go, I don't understand this. They probably do and they can help you to understand it. 
And so, you know, and just continually draw in and, and pray, you know, have this relationship with the Lord. Just don't pray to just check it off saying, well, I prayed to the Lord, you know, just, you know, like your Bible, you know, you just go in and just say, Lord, I want to know Listen for his voice. Listen for the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Because there's a lot of times I'm sitting there praying and the Lord will tell me to go to a particular part of scripture. And that's when I know it's the Lord. I really know it's the Lord at that point because he's pointing me back to the word, which is him. You know, that's his words. It's living and active. And so... You know, that's something we need to do. And in that situation, you know, when situations arise like that, you don't have to worry because you've been in the word and the Lord is going to help you to answer those questions and, and, you know, how to handle people too, that are going to try to trip you up, how to handle the situation, how to approach it. You know, he's going to work with you on that. And so... You know, is it going to be totally flawless? Probably not. You know, we do, you know, we do stumble along the way. But, you know, and I used to when I was just a baby Christian. I didn't understand. But now it's just like it just seems like there's a lot more arrows in my quiver than there used to be when I was a brand new believer. And it just it's a it's a process. It's. It's just like a marriage. It's just like any other relationship. It has to develop. and But you have to be open to letting it develop and be part of it. And so that's a, in essence what I had to talk about today with the daily reading. It ended up dragging out longer than I thought it was going to drag out. But um, so for the next... Uh, podcast, we're going to read Numbers chapter 15, verses 32 through chapter 16, verse 50, and then Psalm 37, verses 8 through 15, and then Proverbs chapter 6, verses 22 through 23, and then Mark chapter 12, 28 through 44. And so I'm just going to end in a prayer and I just say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are, Lord. And I just pray, God, that your Holy Spirit just come and reveal in our hearts, Lord. I just pray that we would just, as we read your word, as we're in prayer with you, bring revelation into our hearts. Guide and direct us in in our daily lives, Lord God. And, And that, Lord, I just pray that we would hunger for your word. It would just begin to become more clearer to us as we read it. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in your word. And, you know, Lord, I just pray for every individual that it would just be personal, Lord God, and because you're a personal God. And that, Lord, I just pray that you would just be with us. I pray, Lord, that, you know, in this time, in this decade, Lord, I just pray that, you know, as your body, as the body of Christ, the church, Lord, that we would just seek out your will, Lord, and, and that, Lord, we wouldn't just be stuck behind four walls, Lord, but that we would go out and preach the gospel to, to a world that needs hope, Lord, that needs to know Jesus. And that, Lord, I just praise you, Lord, for your goodness, Lord, that you never change. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor forever and ever. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, you guys. Thank you.